I'm Kira Brekurek. I'm Nicole Breeden. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Hi everyone, thanks so much for listening to ProPrac today. You might be able to pick up on the sound difference already as today we're out of the recording studio in Carlton and we're actually up on the Gold Coast and in the studio today with our guest Michael Candy. Michael Candy is an emerging kinetic and new media artist. His work centres on small, hand-built robots through which he examines ecological and social systems. Candy's work elicits playful animism as he transforms inanimate machines into autonomous and effective subjects. Often his video works are filmed from the perspective of the robot, offering a cautiously object-oriented view of the world. Many of his recent projects have additionally sought to mimic natural phenomena through technology. Candy has shown nationally and internationally, notably at the Kathmandu Triennale, Pratt Manhattan Gallery, the Forum of Sensory Motion in Athens, the Instrument Builders Project and Hacteria Lab in Jogjakarta, Indonesia. In 2015, he won the WRO Award as part of the 16th Media Art Biennale in Poland and later the Pre-Cube in Paris, France, with his work, Big Dipper. So thanks so much for having us here today, Candy. In your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my sound studio. <laughs> so, uh, as always, we start our podcast with asking you the question, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, when I graduated high school, I didn't really know what to do, um, mm-hmm. so I kind of spent a year uh, just kind of sleeping and like I got pretty good at sleeping like I I, <laughs> I got really into like lucid dreaming and like researching how to sleep better mm. and then um from that it kind of weirdly like I did art in high school and it was definitely it was probably the only thing I excelled in in high mm-hmm. school um and I was using it as a excuse to kind of create very weird experiments and, and robots but I mean it was very high school of course and uh so that following year of just like kind of taking time to think about stuff I started to just experiment again like um uh without really thinking about it and uh was inspired by all sorts of weird media like secret life of plants and like these kind of pseudoscience experiments that that mm-hmm. um became quite popular recently I guess and uh well you know became relevant again again I I guess and uh so yeah I I started just tinkering and then um I actually wanted to study industrial design because my like uh GPA was so shit in high school I had to do um a portfolio-based application to university and my plan was to get into visual arts, do that for a year, and then transfer to oh, industrial right. design. And uh, so I actually did that. Um, and I enrolled in visual arts, uh, did it for a year, uh, moved to Brisbane at the end of that year. And... Um, magpies, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, moved to Brisbane at the end of that year. Uh, and then transferred into industrial design and minored in visual art um and so I did industrial for like two years um but I kind of minored it minored in it the second year because like 
uh, I really struggled with that that course a lot more than visual art. Um, mm-hmm. Not for technical difficulties, but for um, kind of the the focus was was very mm. it was very consumer focused. Like everything was had had to be designed. Where I was trying to push concepts that were more uh, like open source or mm-hmm. shared, and like not not so much products, but um, in engineering devices, I suppose, and it didn't really comply with the core structure. And I'm not very good at just kind of doing what they want. So, <laughs> so like I came back to visual arts, like really excited to to build and, and explore without any commercial purpose, much to my detriment um, now. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, so then I, I finished uh, undergrad in visual arts. And, um, what year did you graduate? I think it was like 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was just kind of, from there, it was kind of like a roller coaster. Like I moved out of my Brisbane house in 2014 and was somehow like bouncing between residencies and, Mm. uh, tried to move to Melbourne and I was just all over the place for like three or four years there. I don't know. You had already been showing and kind of participating in a lot of things before you must have graduated then back in like 2011 and 12 as well. So you're already kind of producing a lot. I was, yeah, I'm super impatient. I'm more patient now, (laughs) but like back then I was just like, let me get like, I wanted, I was like doing things way outside of my scope. Yeah. And um, just... I mean, I don't really have anything else I like to spend money on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and my work is very uh, resource intensive because it's all robotic components and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and back then, I guess in like first, second year, all my all through my degree, I was much more resourceful because I didn't really have anything. So mm. everything kind of had this crappy sort of steampunk look to it because it was just made out of junk <laughs> and it was like I, I don't know it's it's hard to kind of p- pursue like a contemporary practice when you can get like shoehorned into like looking like a, a new media or like kinetic yeah. artist yeah. and it's yeah mm-hmm. it's something I really struggle with like even like technology, I feel totally betrayed by it. Like this modern, you know, pretty much everything digital is just so sneaky and doing horrible things behind your back. And so I have this weird love hate relationship that really drives me with, mm. with pursuing new work. It's like a future that I feel like we never really, we we just had the rug pulled out from under us. And now, yeah, I wonder if, um, in the years, even though they've only been a, um, not a huge amount of years since you've graduated, but I wonder if the way that industrial design and different engineering is actually starting to shift to think about um, the different potentialities of things rather than it being kind of just product design or that we are in control now that there is such a shift in what technologies are capable of and how we need to kind of be preparing ourselves in different ways for the different like possibilities of AI and um, yeah and I'm wondering if the university structure is starting to like accommodate for people to kind of be exploring that a bit more 
um, than possibly back when you were studying. Yeah, I think it totally has. Yeah. Like, and I, and I think it was even starting while I was there, but yeah. impatient me just wanted to get the hell out of university. Understandable. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, going back on what you were saying before about um, the, you, you mentioned like the word kinetic and how kinetic is something that is applied to your practice quite often. How do you, uh, how do you kind of relate to that sort of labeling? Do you find that a frustrating kind of term, or are you, are you totally comfortable being labeled as someone who's like a kinetic, uh, a kinetic artist? I feel like kinetic art happened already. Mm. Um, like it's for me, it's like. I just think of, like, playground equipment, you know? Like, Tinguli, like, just did it to the max and that was it. Like, it should have stopped there and you can do it at Burning Man. But I don't know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that was something you actually, like, really... I never forgot that. It was at Splendid where we met, that artist residency. You were, like, um, careful with this word. And I was like, actually, yeah, (laughs) this kind of sucks, like. And there's also, like, with new media art as well. Well, I mean, new media is really broad, but there's also, uh, like, Ars Electronica and this, like, you know, I built a robot, Arduino does this and, and, like, responds to this and turns Mm -hmm. it into sound, usually. That's what everyone does. And it's, like, it's just this weird community that just hang out in, like, comfy European countries. And it's, like, geez, I, like... I, they're lovely guys and I meet these people and like it's a really cool and supportive community and it has been like this weird way for me to like it's an avenue for like promoting my stuff it's like oh I've done this thing it kind of applies and then it, it can do really well in those circles but I don't want to end up trapped in those circles mm. so I think like I don't know keeping conflict in every aspect of how I do things is something that drives me yeah <laughs> And also, I guess, like, working with the materials that you do and the cost of those materials and um, getting funding to be able to experiment with um, these technologies and um, having to maybe use both, like, a contemporary art, like, funding streams alongside other different kinds of funding that might be more reserved for technologies and um is that something that you have to do in terms of like straddling between um having a art language kind of spiel that you give to people and also a kind of um spiel to maybe more different companies to invest or to um that could possibly fund like a project for something like do you have to is that something that you've ever had to I do pretty much stick to like the art world with those yeah. kind of things but yeah like I um I was recently in the States and I went to like an engineering college um just did like a guest presentation and it was weird because normally like when I present work and I talk about it I just like you know give the art spiel but everyone Mm -hmm. all the students they were engineers and I was just like I use these servos (laughs) and this microcontroller I could like nerd out and it was so (laughs) much fun but it was like yeah it's weird it's something that I like reserve I don't, it's not necessary for like general conversation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It's also, I think, you know, everyone does that with their practice. They have their kind of spiel that they give to artists and or put it in funding applications and then they have their spiel that they say to their auntie over the Christmas table. Yeah, like, yeah. this is what I've been making. Yeah. And like you kind of, not to dumb it down or anything, but to actually make it 
kind of relatable in the context of your life rather than activity based yeah Yeah. or just you know that you're a human sitting around a table not just like a um you know a form that someone reads at osco without a name or a face or anything you're just a number and these kind of like you know really key words that are like about how to activate community and mm, all those kinds of yeah, things. Like, buzzwords, yeah. yeah. It's like you're ticking the boxes, yeah. <laughs> like my Auntie Mary doesn't care about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I normally, like, if if I really have to explain it to, like, someone from outside the arts, I'm just like, I just make robots yeah. for art. And they're like, that's generally, like, scary enough that people leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so what have been some of your biggest challenges that you've needed to overcome to continue your practice? Has there been anything that you've had to kind of really negotiate to be able to be working? Um, are you working pretty much like full-time at the moment at, on your practice? Somehow, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so incredible. Yeah. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really tricky because I'm not, financially smart and I do like if I'm gonna make something and I can afford the best components I'll get them yeah because that's the other thing is like people think they're gonna buy your moving sculpture thing and it's just gonna work and it's like no I built that out of stuff from the tip shop it's Mm -hmm. it's gonna break down Mm -hmm. like and it costs money to make things more reliable Mm -hmm. so like trying trying to pursue new works um where I use my skill set and sort of reuse components to build things um, and create video work because that, of course, is like, you know, everyone knows how to play a video work, but it can be of the work itself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people only really see my sculptures through online documentation, which which kind of sucks as well because they're unintentionally kind of ephemeral. Like, they yeah. break down. And, mm. um, so... I guess that's one of the major challenges and yeah uh I mean I got lucky with like a few art jobs like commissions for other artists to make machines because like I have this skill set and they're Mm -hmm. like I want to make this thing do this and I can totally do that and then I get written into other people's grants and the the odd project here and there has totally like got me through but um did you sorry to interrupt but did you all like um your training in how to build these robots was that through um studying industrial design or was it just self-taught yeah that was something I've always done yeah yeah Yeah. it was like since being a kid I Mm -hmm. was I just took lots of things apart to kind of figure out how they work and yeah and like you know when engineers see my things they they know the the very small skill set that I have because it's very limited I'm not Mm -hmm. an engineer I'm not a programmer so like Mm. I kind of find very weird uh and arbitrary avenues to like Mm. accomplish the kind of end goal yeah um so and I think you know if you are super professional in whatever your focus is you're your art's not as interesting yeah like you gotta you gotta be a little bit crappy so I embrace the crappiness yeah. to a degree like I heard um I think it was Sandra Maestrom said in an artist talk once that she uses these different mediums and she's not really interested in becoming the best at them she uses them for what she needs rather than you know to become the master 
And I, I think that that's really interesting in kind of our age today that um, and then when you reflect on art history, how it was all about like mastering your medium, whereas yeah. now mm. I think we have the luxury of being able to like use them um, to for what we want and then be able to like also abandon them as we yeah. need to. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, well, like the term hacking, it kind of becomes continually like broad as it covers different mediums. But like I think modern art, like the same way, the same way you can't be a female artist and not be a feminist, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't be a modern artist and not engage with technology in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and artists are kind of, there's always this cool thing with art where it's like you, you just kind of abuse systems and find their limits and like artists use technology in that way, whether it's social media or like the medium of their practice. I find like people find very hacky or like, you know, disused ways to still use technology Mm. yeah um and that's that's something that's really interesting to me is just like you know how do you make a coffee with a toaster or whatever it is like there's like there's some kind of hacking term there that's like um that i've totally forgotten but um We spent a lot of our New Year's Eve discussing how to make the best toasted cheese sandwich in a toaster. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can put, apparently put a toaster on its side and, like, make a good cheese. Business. In it. Yeah. Hacking. That's hacking. Yeah. That's not <laughs> what it's for. And, yeah. like, if you um, need to boil an egg and you don't have a stove and you can, like, keep your kettle, you know, if you leave the top open and it just continues to boil because it doesn't have the switch to know that it's reached boiling point so you can boil your eggs in that. breakfast hacks so another question we have which is quite broad but um it's what does uh what does a successful practice mean to you or what does being a practicing artist mean to you um and we ask that to everyone because we think it's really interesting the way that people kind of quantify what a practice actually is i'd say if you can this is yeah I'd say if you can, like, shout your friend's dinner and you have the time to do that, you're doing all right. Like, that's that's, nice. that's pretty good. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you can still be successful and not financially successful, mm-hmm. but it's kind of this weird, like, I still hit rock bottom, like, three times a year, probably, where it's just, like, I have no money at all and have to ask friends for work and, like, go do a few side jobs and then something will come through and um and it's this it's like a total roller coaster of like oh i have like twenty five thousand dollars you know like but i have to do this project that's 15 grand and then somehow live off mm-hmm. that, like 10 grand for a year and it's just like oh it's yeah and the money just goes down and it's like you're not paid for your hours even though you wrote it into the grant like it's like you you cannot have that hourly wage even at the lowest rate oh, of pay. Totally. Like, mm-hmm. Sometimes um, I just, I, it's like I shove it to the back of my mind because I don't want to figure out how much, you know, when there's some projects where you'd be like, wow, I probably got paid like less than 10 cents an hour yeah. for the amount of hours, even though you've gotten a grant for it. It's mm. just so much extra time than what you can actually be paid for. Yeah. Um, it's quite interesting that you said that you can shout your friends dinner but also be able to go to dinner because it is kind of like there is that flip side too like you're either 
you're either like idle and you have no money or you're like working way too much and way too hard and yeah. you have no time exactly mm. yeah. so it's kind of, it's quite an interesting sort of like um yeah roller coaster as you said of just like yeah yeah, yeah. no time no money yeah, no time yeah, yeah, yeah. no money <laughs> yeah yeah and then you throw traveling in the mix as well and it's just like i'm not here like i can't do it or like mm, you know mm-hmm. but that was one of the other interesting things was like when i did travel a lot um and like I've always been envious of video like artists that specifically work with video or like you know web-based artists and stuff and it's like all you need is your laptop like that's so cool and I've been like I can't do that but now it's like why can't I do that Mm -hmm. so like I've like built a small 3d printer and like have this mobile kind of studio set up and like I just can't go anywhere like I was in Thailand recently and like just making stuff on the island there like all I need is electricity. I've done built works in my hotel rooms in Paris mm. and stuff. And um, it's kind of, you can't really just think like that. You need to like push yourself uh, to explore how you can create in very uncomfortable situations. Yeah, absolutely. And out of curiosity, because, you know, we are called ProPrac, but what's what's actually in that? Um, like what's your setup for your mobile studio? Like is it in a case? Like what do you have in there? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like I tried multiple things for a while, like different tool bags and stuff. None of it really worked. And then, uh, when I went to Nepal, I really wanted, uh, like a big, uh, Pelican case, but the ones with wheels, I mean, there's not even like most of the roads are gravel and stuff. So I, uh, bought like the strapping section of a hunting backpack and like a, like it was like made to fit like it's like really professional and I made it like clip to this giant pelican case so it's like a pelican that's backpack that's amazing that's so cool and um and so like could uh, uh we rode like up into the Himalayas on motorbikes and stuff with this like carrying all these robots to like film in these different locations and um inside there I fitted like a I have a small foldable 3D printer. And like I pack just basic electronics that that would be hard to find, um, and you know soldering irons, uh, batteries. That's something that's like a finite resource. I I travel with drone batteries regardless of if I have a drone, just because of the high energy. Like can't really get them anywhere. And um, on a lot of occasions, I take my drill actually because mm. like a lot of places just have really crap drills mm-hmm. and it's like worth I have a tattoo on my butt of my drill I love my drill like, <laughs> I, feel, I feel the same yeah 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 it's like the extension of your arm yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah it's also um you know poor tradesman blames his tools but that's total bullshit you need good tools like it's if you're working with stuff every day like I don't know. I have like I had this conversation with my housemate, and he's like on his computer drawing things every day, mm-hmm. and I was just like, he's on this like piece of shit computer, and his chair's terrible. I'm like, just get a nice chair. Like you spend twelve hours here, and you make money. Like just get a nice. I would not compromise on something like that. It's like this is part of my lifestyle. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not worth compromising if it's something you're actually going to keep. I think um, back to making a portable studio, I think that that's a really important thing and something that I learned 
soon after I graduated from my undergrad, I went and um, was living in Berlin and was doing residencies. And at that stage, I guess, of my like career, I was straight out of school. I didn't really think about what I need for a studio setup, but I think it also allowed me to realise what I do need and that you don't really need much at all. And that as long as I had something to record myself on, whether it was my computer or back in that, those days, like... Um, just a little crappy camcorder that that was enough Mm. and that you can make a studio wherever you go and um that you can like collect pieces and then make sure that you can also just like have it somewhat ephemeral as well and be able to like disperse them back to wherever you are and then recollect in different places and I think some people um you know get really fixated on having like really permanent spaces and um to have all these different things and I think it can be a really great exercise to actually think about what you need to sustain your practice um, in terms of equipment and can you actually um, push your conceptual ideas into ways that you can use different materials in different spaces to achieve the same result or explore that concept rather than just relying on the same setup over and over again um, within your kind of home or studio that you always have on hand so yeah I think it's a good exercise for anyone to kind of like go through and kind of take inventory about what they actually need um to have a practice yeah totally yeah yeah what does your practice look like on a kind of day-to-day basis like um or a week in the life of your practice a week uh well I guess in studio is probably the best reference for that but um I've kind of always, like, worked where I live. Um, and, like, I, uh, my studio in Brisbane when I was in university was, like, in my bedroom in a Queenslander. And, like, I did everything from, like, welding to, like, casting lead in my, like, bedroom <laughs> in a, like, wooden house, which is just such a shit idea. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's weird. Like, even here, when building these sort of areas, like the sleeping areas or napping areas, not bedrooms, because that's not legal. Um, <laughs> uh, like, like soundproof areas. Yeah, sound my sound studio with a bed yeah. um, and clothes. <laughs> um, we kind of, like, I was, because I built it with my housemate, I was like, let's just make the smallest living space possible because, like, I, I just... I don't really know what people do in rooms. Like you you watch things on your laptop and go to sleep, right? Or like read a book and go to sleep. And it's kind of, I don't know. I I don't think I've really know how to do normal life. So for me, studio is like priority. And um, here I kind of get up, make a coffee. Um, If I have computer work, which I dread, I hate being on my computer so much. Like, if I if I have like emails grants or something that I need to work on uh I try and do that and and finish before midday or like cut myself off before midday and then I'll spend some time uh in the workshop uh working on whatever it is is always something to be working on um and uh like uh I try and go out at midday every day or around midday or at least once a day uh either for a swim or to like just go for a walk somewhere because we don't really have windows in here and I need fresh air and 
it can get pretty depressing even though we get a lot of light in here mm-hmm. um so like yeah have to leave the studio at some point in the day that's one of the problems of living there i guess if you don't live there you can not yeah. do that um and then yeah if uh, if the workshop gets a bit too hot or like uh or whatever i'll probably like stop at three or four and then do a bit more computer work and call it a day it kind of sucks how much like admin starts to consume your actual time as an artist like yeah yeah and grant writing and stuff is like something i've never really improved on Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's always a last minute kind of forced thing Mm -hmm. i kind of i i wonder quite often about like you know pre pre internet like how much you know cuz i mean we're all we all are from the age of internet like what it was actually like um for artists before then mm-hmm. doing their admin like you know preparing i mean preparing for grants must have been much harder and much you know more challenging but um sending in slides slides phone yeah. calls slides mm. and phone calls so yeah phone calls are still awesome calls. people yeah. forget that i i did for a long time but i'm yeah. back on the I'm back on the you get one of those again. stupid emails and it's got like six dot points and you're like, nah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm call you. Like, <laughs> I'm so the opposite. I'm like, put it in text. I need to read it. But then, yeah, I know other people, um, I was collaborating with someone this year and they just whip out their phone at any chance and like, give someone a call and I'd be there like drafting an email. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, I think the email really has its merits for, like, keeping track of, like, what was agreed on. I really enjoyed that about, especially, like, when I'm working freelance, like, it's really important to have everything in, in text. But, like, when people are texting you about stuff, yeah, that's, that's really like, nice. unacceptable. I can, <laughs> like, I have a few friends who are, like, academics, and they send me emails, like, twice a day now. Like, I met them at this conference earlier this year, and, like... And then I was hanging out with one of them and I saw she like talks into her keyboard. I'm like, nah, this is why you sent me like these arbitrary emails about like something that crossed your mind, you know? It's like my email isn't, it's like I treat it like a letterbox. It's like, oh, that one took ages to arrive. I can't, I mean, I really shouldn't, I shouldn't be saying this, but um, I mean, if something's pressing, I cut off everything and do it. But if it's just like, I don't know. I'm just so bad at being social. Like, it's like, it's hard. I don't know. It's very taxing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I remember someone saying how they dedicate one day a week to grant writing. Um, even if there's kind of nothing, you know, that's due in that month, they kind of start prepping for them. And so that they just have this one day a week. And I thought that that was really organized and I tried doing that, but it kind of just ends up being like, taken over by emails even then it's like it yeah. doesn't even matter if you've got like a computer day mm. scheduled it's just crazy emails just imagine that one crippling day of like computer work where you're like at your desk for like oh. eight hours it's so crap well that's like that's my thing with like i hate technology it's like it's designed to like <laughs> make you more efficient and stuff but it actually just makes you able to do more work and yeah it's like maybe i don't want to do that much work you know like yeah so i can't remember which economist it was but it was like they thought that by now we would just be like working two days a week oh like yeah i'm just going sailing today you know (laughs) it's like no but it's actually just like increased our productivity so now we just do more and earn more and spend it on 
I don't know every animal. Everyone else. I'm also really like dubious about the whole in the kind of corporate world of um people like being told that they can work one day a week from home or whatever. And I, I totally understand that for some people like open plan workspaces and everything is really great, but I also feel like that is encouraging people to bring their work home with them in areas of workforces that probably doesn't need to leave the office and then it encroach on their family life yeah. and their life, their lifestyle by having, you know, what is pitched as this kind of really flexible work arrangement and it's actually just increasingly, like, approaching more and more on people's day-to-day life. Like, it's outsourcing so. um, the physical space as well into yeah, the workers' homes. So yeah, corporations aren't like they're yeah, not well, making that's it, the you thing know, about being an artist. You can leave the studio, but you're still an artist. Like totally. it, it comes home with you. Yeah, it's like this bad stink you have yeah. for the rest of your life. <laughs> and like, yeah, that I've always been envious of. Like, you know, oh, five p.m. I can have beers, watch TV. It's yeah. like no obligations. Like, yeah. I've never had that. Yeah, never. It's had. And impossible. people are like you've never had a job, but like, because like I get these weird you know, project jobs, but it's like, I've never had a nine to five, but kind of looks kind of good. I think there's redeeming aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I sometimes, I'm like, I just want to be able to walk home from work and leave it behind me. It'll be a dream. Well, I also wonder, like, even if I made the decision to quit art, you could never stop thinking like the way that you think and mm. the way that you've been trained to analyze things and you've got the apart. mind virus now totally <laughs> we went and saw a star is born which is a terrible film but like we wrote about 15 essays on the way home about like different ways that the film was just like just failed and it's like you can't even enjoy a crappy film and you like <laughs> it's like ruined all media for us forever yeah just can't turn off this like in my mind but it's kind of good only the good stuff makes it through now yeah. right like the ones yeah. that make it through you're like actually that's pretty good and then yeah, i feel like there's the highest satisfaction yeah <laughs> yeah oh, of course yeah you gotta i mean you gotta keep up with pop culture right yeah. like otherwise Hence otherwise you won't understand the memes no <laughs> i want to make art about yeah <laughs> Um, so what has been one of the biggest resources that has assisted you in your practice? Uh, I can't help but think of resources as something that like stays with me through my practice, but I mean, I guess this guy hasn't, but the the workshop staff at university, mm. were like that was where I learned the most because mm-hmm. they were from like set design and stuff and yeah. just really good at mold making. And I like actually learned a lot of like really cool ways to produce work and it it was also like I would always think I'm doing things to the best of my ability but it's also like it at the end of the day it's like you need to just create it to do the thing like it doesn't need to stand the test of time you know and that was uh that was very important for me to learn I guess um and then I don't know resources I gotta say I think uh being an artist or being an Australian citizen, it's a fucking awesome resource because, like, not a lot of other countries have kind of the avenues for funding and uh, support that we do. And I've been, like, pretty lucky with quite a few things. But, I mean, we all have ups and downs. But 
um, Australia does invest quite heavily in the arts uh, as opposed to a lot of other countries. And I think like if you were a US citizen, it's like you need to be high class to kind of succeed in that. Mm-hmm. In, like you, of course, can still be an artist, but it's going to be hard work. Like you're not going to get government grants the way they're available here. Um, we and, are incredibly pri- privileged here. Yeah. 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 And, um, and the other, I guess, I don't know, resource, I think leaving Australia is also important on that note because there's, there's a lot of like, uh, very localized problems that we kind of focus on that aren't actually that important. And That's I think. That's so interesting. We were actually just discussing this in the car this morning about like how traveling. Um, you can never normally pinpoint, you know, when people come back from traveling, they're like, I feel like a different person and you kind of can't pinpoint it, but it's just kind of this mind expansion of like understanding yourself within a wider context or other, yeah, or your practice within a wider context. And it's so beneficial and so important. Yeah. Mm. And also it's generally cheaper to live anywhere else in the world than (laughs) australia (laughs) so like as an artist if you can figure out a way to travel it's actually it can work out better for you Mm. what advice would you have liked to have received when you were starting out or what do you wish someone would have told you about being an artist when you were just beginning it like as a practicing artist Mm. my gut says just don't do it like <laughs> don't do it um yeah that's that's we we kind of uh touched on this last night but i guess i didn't really grow up in a situation where i knew this was even a career path like i kind of just thought and it sort of is in a way like art is just a rich man's hobby you know like it's i don't know like how how the hell did that you go to like a big gallery and look at things and you're like, how did that even happen? Like why and how? Um, and so it was a really steep learning curve to kind of figure out that it is, it, it is this weird microcosm that exists. Um, and it is very um, broad and, and confusing, but there is ways to actually survive and be an artist. Um, and so I I don't know, like, going through university, the course I did, there wasn't anything particularly focused on actually being an artist in the real world, and a lot of my peers just kind of graduated and got other jobs, nothing to do with the arts, um, and some, some still are artists, of course, but, like, it's, it's kind of, it kind of sucked that there was not someone like I, I of course had tutors telling me it is possible but like there wasn't this clear like course structure that's like this is how you organize your studio and this yeah. is how like you organize clients and like um i think something that i'm not even very good at but just remembering people like is the most important thing and like uh staying in touch with as many people from the arts as you can is, is also very important because you're as much as you want to be, you're not an individual. Like you exist in this really dumb, weird society of artists. And 
you need to be their friends and you need mm-hmm. to exist in that. So I don't know. I think just be friendly. And uh, I used to say, say yes to everything. That, that used to be what I thought was good. But now say no to everything. <laughs> like Seriously, just don't. Because you like, I don't know how I had that much energy. And I was just doing like, just wasting so much time on like shows that no one would come to. And it was just just do things that are worth it yeah. i suppose like mm. i feel like that might be the flip between like emerging and sort of emerging mid-career is like say yes at the start maybe, and maybe then say no career. to everything else yeah <laughs> like, yeah 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 totally because um i'm just learning that now and it's still hard it's still hard when it's like hey i've got like 50 bucks in my wallet you want to make me an art yeah oh i want that 50 bucks but <laughs> you know the art's probably going to cost 400 dollars. so <laughs> like i don't know it's kind of yeah um you know we're not i i think yeah people who really make it in the the big out there mega art world are just really good at finance we're just not. Finance <laughs> like and networking. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're kind of some keys. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, I think don't. Another tip, maybe to add. Sorry, I've, this is like a really. I've just kind of gone all over the place. No, great. Good advice. <laughs> don't rely on social media. Mm. Like any of it. Like. Even Facebook. Adding someone as a friend doesn't count for shit. Like mm-hmm. you. It. It's not relevant unless you actually are personally in touch with this person. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just always remember the virtual world doesn't exist. That might be a good note to Yeah, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think I'd like to leave on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Do you have anything coming up that you would like to plug? Plug. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know no like this year there's a whole bunch of people that are like yeah we want something but it's kind of still up to them whether it'll happen you said no well no, i wish <laughs> i wish no no i'm, I'm actually like michael candy has nothing coming up yes. this year because he said no yes. so, uh, make <laughs> yes. sure you check out michael candy's nothing yeah this year. yeah please come along i've got nothing going on <laughs> visit my studio i guess come hang out <laughs> Um, again, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Great. Thank you, guys. We acknowledge the Yugambeh people as traditional owners on the lands on which this podcast was recorded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate and leave us a nice review so people can find us. Stay up to date with us on Instagram at ProPrac Podcast or send us an email at ProPracPod at gmail.com. <laughs>